Amen. Good morning. It's great to see everyone. Thanks for saying good morning back. Um, if you want to open up your bulletins or actually look on the back of your bulletin that just has kind of the main points with some empty space for you to write on. But if you open your bulletin, you'll see some notes in there that I typed up. It's the study God took me through these last two weeks to come up with this message. There's going to be about 20 verses I'm going to refer to. I'm not going to read every one. I'm just going to throw it up there so you know it's not my word. It's God's word. All right, so if you want, I, I don't want you to have to write so much back here. I did most of it for you so you can enjoy and listen. But there's two passages that are the key passages for this morning. So if you want to open your Bibles to John chapter 6, you can even use a bulletin part to hold your place there. John chapter 6, verses 28 and 29. And put a piece of your bulletin in there. After you get John chapter 6, verses 28 and 29, you can get the second location. is Romans chapter 5, verse 2. Romans chapter 5, verse 2. Put an insert in there and hold those two places. We're going to go to John first and then Romans through the message. I'm very excited to share this with you because I grew up in fear not knowing if I was going to heaven. We've been using this rope, if you haven't been here. This rope represents, this side represents eternity. This side represents our time on earth. How can I be sure that I'm going to be in heaven with God? I grew up in the church, but I had this fear. Did I do it right? I sinned. There was all these other religions out there. We got Muslim, Mormon, Jehovah's Witness, Catholic, Seventh Day, and you got like 30 variations of Christian. Which one? How can I be sure? Because there's different messages coming from different religions, isn't there? Is it just enough to believe in God? Is it? Are you sure today that by just believing in God that you're going... To heaven, is that enough? I was confused. I don't know if you're with me. I grew up in 10 years of confusion until I was 17. The world says, you find your way to whatever you want. If it's karma, you come back as a dog. Think hard about coming back as a dog. Go for it. That's what the world says, isn't it? You just do whatever you want. Just find your way. That confused me in high school. And I looked at my actions. I knew I believed something about Jesus, but then I would still sin. What does God do with my sin? I grew up in this fear. As we look through these verses, we're going to try and separate out the truth from the lie. Because Satan, the devil, our enemy, masquerades as an angel of what? Light. Let's say it again. Masquerades as an angel of light. Not that little red devil we see at Halloween. He wants us to believe that. Light. He's probably the best theologian of all of us. He probably knows the Bible words and everything and knows how to just twist it. But I lived in fear as a teenager, as a kid, crying at night, wondering, am I really going to make it to heaven? So as we go through today, I hope at the end you're going to be sure or more sure or more confident, like, yeah! That's what I want you to say at the end. Say, yeah! 
If you're in Yemby, this is what they say. When they want to say, yeah, they say, <laughs> you catch that? So maybe at the end, everyone goes, <laughs> that's right, one, two, three. <laughs> that's a way to say amen in our village of Yemby, Yemby. Okay, so I want to talk to you about something called a worldview. You see, I was looking at my actions, what I see and what I hear, but it all stemmed from a core belief, a problem with my core belief about God, about man, and about Jesus. There was a core belief problem, and it manifests itself in this outward feeling of fear and anxiety, coming to church, not sure. And so this world view means it's your network of beliefs, your basic belief system. And from the time you're born, as you grow up, that worldview is starting to shape. You have a thought about God. You have a thought about Jesus. You hear about something on the news, and your worldview is starting to shape. Well, based on your worldview, then that will determine what you value. That's the second circle, the silver circle on the screen. And then by what you value, that will determine what social systems we have, what laws we make, what morals we hold to, based on what we value. And based on our morals and what society agrees upon, you see the action. And that's the green circle. So here's an example. My wife and I, we were in Yembe Yembe, overseas in an island of Papua New Guinea, two-day flight away. And we went inside this jungle, and every single one of those people in Yembe Yembe had a worldview. And one of the core beliefs is that Taman control disease. So I, I was walking in the village one day and I met my friend Tongian and I said, Tongian, where are you going? He said, I'm t- going to the jungle. You want to come? Sure. So I walk with him. We're going. And he's carrying something with him. And see, he believes that Taman controls disease and his wife is sick. So he's taking this little offering and he values a proper relationship with Taman. I asked him, what are you doing? He's like, I'm making this sacrifice because I, I must have messed up my relationship with Taman. So he values a relationship with Taman, the second circle. The way to restore that relationship is through some sort of sacrifice. And then on the outward side, I'm seen with my eye the action of his core belief. Now, if I looked at Tony, I said, that's stupid. Don't do that. Have I changed his core belief? No. He just changed behavior. He spent three years to learn their worldview. Three years finding it out. We wanted to know what worldview they have. Well, let's go to America. What kind of worldviews do we have here in America? Let's say we have an impersonal beginning. Bang! We're here. Well, if no one's going to tell us what's right and wrong and who should be a male and a female, let's decide. So, I think it's okay to change gender. I value that. It's whatever we say. All right, well then, we're going to get together as a society and say it's okay to change gender. Now we see laws and government, and then we see the outward sign, the outward action, people changing gender, becoming a certain way. And we say, stop that, don't do that. God says no. Don't sin. Have we changed their core belief? No. You see, when we, when we come to our village in Yembe Yembe and we're ready to share God's word, we spent three years to learn their worldview because we want God, man, and Jesus to have their proper place in the worldview circles. If you see in this next slide, it should say God, 
man, and Jesus. In the next slide. There you go. That was my fault. God, man, and Jesus. That should be in the center. How God defines himself. How God defines us. And how God defines Jesus. That's what matters. So as we went through the teaching, we are trying to identify their worldview and say, guys, you believe this about Tamman. You believe this about all these other gods. You have the termite spirit. You think it's easy to kill that one. But no, 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 no. Let's replace it with God's definition of God. Because they heard the name God. They heard the name Jesus. We started to say replace. It took 10 hours over a one-week period. We just talked about in the beginning God. Because we're trying to replace. We pit them against each other. Talmon and God. Who's going to win? God better. Otherwise, we can't go into verse 2. The rest of the Bible makes zero sense. And so we started with God created man. He created Adam and Eve in the beginning, and things were good. They were friends. So God and man are connected. They're hanging out. He works all day. God comes strolling in the garden in the afternoon. We stayed on that for just about four days. We want them to revel in how great it was, not think of anything else. Just picture yourself in the garden. Four days just on the Garden of Eden, how good things were. So that when Adam and Eve sinned, it was such a shock, like, what? It was so good, though, yeah, but sin broke the fellowship, the relationship. Now man is separated from God. And they're like, where would you get this from? And that's why it was so important that we spent the two years to translate. We said, God is telling us his definition of you. God is telling us his definition of himself. And so in Yembe, we put some posts in the ground. It's not going to work here, so I use stools. But picture, there's a post in the ground, and it stayed there the entire teaching. And, and actually, for four years after, we had a post that represented man and a post that represented God. And so there's a separation gap between the two. How is man going to come back to God? And God made this amazing statement in Genesis 3.15. Let's read it together. And I, or I will read it, and you read it with me, silently. <laughs> and I will cause hostility between you and the woman. So God is talking to Satan and Eve, saying, I'm going to cause hostility between you, Satan, and Eve, and between your offspring and her offspring, that's a singular word referencing one. Because in the next sentence it says, He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. From the very beginning, God promised someone is coming to join us back to God. And then he said, here's a picture. You guys, Adam and Eve, God is looking at Adam and Eve. You see, you guys brought those leaves. Because remember, Adam and Eve, they sinned. They're like, ah, naked. And so they took leaves. Maybe you won't notice. Hey, God, you think you notice? He's like, get those leaves off. That's not how you come to me. Here, let me show you. Kills an animal, takes the skin of that animal, puts it on them, and says, that's how you come to me, through the death of another. The first sacrifice ever made was by God. And he says, that's how you come to me. And I think in that moment, they believed in the promised one and what God was saying. You ever seen a little four-year-old, my little four-year-old, and he gets in trouble and he knows? He's like, uh-oh. And whatever I'm about to say, he's going to do, isn't he? You say, whatever you want, Daddy, let's restore this. I bet you Adam and Eve were no different. Daddy, whatever you say. I bet you it was like that. So they believed in the promised one. They received the skins 
And God says, that's how you come to me. It was always through the death of another. So, Adam and Eve had kids. Lots of them. We're proof. Okay, but two of those boys, Cain and Abel, in the next chapter, offered two different sacrifices. And for the first time, we see an altar show up. This is supposed to represent an altar of the Old Testament that you would find. And it was made of rocks. And uh, this is representing ground. I didn't make a real one. Kept it nice and clean. But picture. Picture that this is an altar. And so we see Abel, he brings his, um, his offer. And his offering is an animal. And he places it on the altar. And he kills it. Okay, so he kills it. This represents the blood. Pretend. There you go. There's blood running out. And God says, yes. Amen. I see the blood through the death of another. Well, then his brother Abel brings fruit. He puts it on the altar. God's looking at that. What's that, bro? I don't see any blood. Can this shed blood? He's like, no. I'm hypothetically, I wasn't there and it's not in Scripture. Just follow me. This is called theatrical license here. Um, okay, so God's talking to him and he says, no, this is not the right sacrifice. I don't see the blood anywhere. This cannot shed blood. I don't want your hard work, Cain. I don't want your good work. I want the blood. It's through the death of another, not through the rotting of fruit that you come to me. From the very beginning, we're seeing this picture of the lamb on the altar so after Cain and Abel, we see another story and another story. And we went through four months with our people in Yembi and explained to them how the sheep would be raised for the purpose of being killed and to be offered as a sin payment or sin covering. And through this whole while, they were telling their kids, the seed is coming. That one promised in Genesis 3 is coming. And then we get to David around there. And all of a sudden now he's called the Messiah. He's called the Deliverer. Now this guy that's coming has different names. He's the Promised One. He's the Messiah. So people are looking towards him. You get into the New Testament, and then you see people still sacrificing in the temple. There is a whole place that's set up where they're always killing animals. You raise it to kill it. Raise it to kill it, because that's God's definition of how you come to him. So after three and a half months, our guys were wondering, okay, what are we going to hear about today? More dead sheep? Yeah. Well, we finally get to that point where John the Baptist shows up. Can you imagine someone in Israel? He goes to the temple with his family, puts his hand on the head, and signifying that this is taking the place of his sin temporarily. But he had to put another sheep on there next week and next week. So he offers the sheep, and he's, his kids are like, we want to go to the beach. So they go to the Sea of Galilee there, and they see this weird guy dressed all weird with a weird diet. His name is John the Baptist. And, and they're, they're listening. And as John the Baptist is talking, John points to this man walking towards them. He says, look. So they all look. Behold the Lamb of God. That looks like a human to me. I just sacrificed my lamb this morning in the temple. Can you imagine the Jewish mind at that point? For 30 years, he's been sacrificing, sacrificing, seeing the blood. That's a lot of blood. At one point, it was a whole river of blood, if you're reading the Old Testament. It is always to the death of another that you come back to God. That's how we're joined. We showed that in Yembe. They're like, 
no way, wait a minute. And so you start going through all the different prophecies and talking to each other and excited. I think he's the one from Genesis 3. What do you think, Tim? Yeah, you get it. After a week, we explain how Jesus died. And initially, they were kind of scratching their heads. Wait a minute, he was the promised one. He was supposed to join us back to God somehow. He even told people, why is he dying? But we said, you know what, when he rose from the grave, it showed that he had a perfect life. And this is what happened. This is what we did in Yembe. He said, Jesus is the final lamb on the altar. He's the last sacrifice. God is truly the first and the last. He made the first sacrifice in Genesis 3. He makes the last, finishes it. Amen. The beginning and the end. And so we said, whoever believes right now for your sin that Jesus is paying for your sin with his blood. Did Jesus shed blood? You betcha. That's what God has always said. It's through that perfect life, that sinless, pure life. Death could not hold him, so he rose from the grave, and he's like, death couldn't hold me. I died, but it's through me now that I can pay for your sin. See, something has to be on each of us of our altars. It's like each of us have an altar. Just picture it with me. You have an altar, and who's on your altar? This is the real altar call. I seem to use that phrase, this is the altar, and it's saying, who is on your altar? I, I, want, I want to keep it simple. Because it was very confusing to me growing up. If you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and pays for your sins, that's it. It's done. Your sins paid for. You know now that you are going to heaven because of your faith in Christ. There's nothing else for you to do. That's the good news. Bad news is, is that just starts the process. That's the bad news. But that's not it. That's the lie. Don't follow me there. The truth is, he paid the price. Now, belief. People, even in American culture, the word belief and the word faith has baggage, doesn't it? But Jesus used it over, over 200 times, mostly referring to himself. And you have it open right in front of you. Let's read in John 6. Awesome. It's like elevator music as we find our place. Here we go. John chapter 6, verse 28. Starts there. It says, They replied, We want to perform God's works too. What should we do? And Jesus said, This is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. Believe. Unfortunately, we say, well, that's easy believism. You have to show fruit. We add stuff to it. You have to do this and do that. No, no, no. Jesus said you have to believe. And as I translated the New Testament, I found this. found that belief and faith come from the same Greek root word. Okay, we'll delete that from the video. The same Greek root word. I said it wrong. The same Greek root word. Maybe God wanted you to make sure you heard that. Okay? Believe is translated... Over 240 times, it's in your notes, but part of the time it's translated faith. And the word we use for faith is translated believe. It's the same word, believe, faith. So if you had faith and you believe that Jesus and 
what belief is. It's not saying a prayer, oh Lord, I accept you into my heart. It's not that. It's where you cognitively believe, with your mind and your heart, you say, you know, Jesus paid the price for my sin. And you just come and tell me that you believe. It's as simple as that. When that happened for you, if it was five years ago, ten years ago, right now, this is a promise God gives us. I found this last week. It's awesome. God showed me. In Corinthians 13, you know, it's always a love passage, right? But, check this out. Three things last how long? Forever. What's the first word there? It's the same Greek word as belief. When you believed in Jesus, boom, last forever. Sorry, I scared two of you. Oh, sorry about that. Okay, forever. Is there a forever and minus a day? I mean, is there a stop to that? It's forever. Once you believe, that's it. You're in. Sorry, you, you want to try and unbelieve? You can't do it. Jesus says, no, nope, once you believe, I got you. It's a forever moment. I don't want you to be concerned that next week or next year or something you have to do something else and give something else. No, no, no. It's boom, happened. And hope, our hope is in you. That hope we have is forever. And we will see him someday. Remember I talked about at the beginning of our message? I had some fears. You know why I had some fears? Because I didn't understand that. I didn't understand it was just about faith in Christ. I don't know about you. I grew up in the church. And there is these misconceptions. There is these misconceptions that, you know, I have to do something. I have to look a certain way. So I better, you know, raise my hand, bow my head, close my eyes, say the prayer. I said the prayer like ten times over ten years. Did I do it right? Let me try again. He's asking. Never do that? He's asking me to recommit. Well, maybe I need to recommit so I can be sure that I'm going to heaven. That's like the leaves. We're trying to show, we're trying to do something, cover up. Oh, it's my church attendance. Man, I better go to church. See, if you look at this picture of the cross and um, Cain's idea, Adam's idea, someone called the Pharisees, here's what so often we hear. I heard growing up. I don't know about you, but this is how it was, comes across to me, Tim Chanter. You've got to pray the prayer. The prayer became the fruit that Cain offered. It became the good work. Did I pray it right? Can a prayer shed blood? No. The baptism. That's a big one. Some churches teach you have to be baptized. Well, it says right there in Acts 2. Well, go to Acts 15. When Peter says to everyone, Hey, I was just preaching. And they believed and they got the Holy Spirit. So it must just be through belief. The next sentence was just like we did. It's always through the belief. Same word there in Corinthians 13. Belief, faith. Baptism, prayer, it's like Cain's offering. It's your good works. There's a list up there of the Pharisees. They were the religious people of the day. Think of someone religious that you know. The Mormons, Jehovah's Witness, even in the Christian realm, Catholicism, you name it, Baha'i faith, there's some out there. It's all about your work, 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 work. Your work cannot shed blood. Your church attendance cannot shed blood, can it? Your prayers cannot shed blood. Baptism doesn't shed blood. Baptism is a sign of the belief that happened up here. And you're just showing everyone. This is what happened in my heart. 
He didn't look at the thief on the cross as he's hanging there and say, hey, go down and get baptized and believe. What did he say here in 629? Believe and be baptized and pray. Go to confession. Give your heart to me. Is that what he said? I heard this, give your life to Christ stuff. God's like, I don't want your life. I want you to believe in the one I have sent. Then we'll talk about the new life I'm going to give you. Not you giving me your life, giving me your good stuff. Because you got nothing to give me. i got everything to give you. Just believe in the one I told you to believe in, Jesus. That's why people say, well, I just believe in God. Because they don't like the Jesus part. Is believing in God enough? No, because if you really did, God's pointing you to his son, Jesus. It's only through Jesus. That's why I don't want you to be confused because we do have a lot of those misconceptions in the center of our worldview. I want to just take them out, yank them out, replace it with Jesus, replace it with Jesus, the prayer, replace it with Jesus. Coming forward, replace it with Jesus. It's about Jesus, 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 Jesus. Do you get the point? Be confident in that. Because I wasn't, and I grew up in fear. Satan wanted me to be fearful. There should be no fear. So if you believed in Jesus, this is what happened to you. And here's the exciting part. You didn't realize it, but at the moment you believe, God says, I look at you differently. Look at where I'm getting this shirt from. Where am I getting this shirt from? Someone yell it out. The cross, representing Christ. God says, I'm going to show you my definition of you now. Let's see how I see you now once you believed in Christ. I see my son on you, Jesus. I see Christ's righteousness, his pure life. But, that, but, but uh, Father, or you say, God, I still sin, I know, but look what I choose to look at. Look what I choose to look at. I see you in Christ. And the big word that you would go to cemetery and find this one out is justification. Sorry, it is seminary. It's good. It's full of some good people. Justification just means you stand in Christ's righteousness. It's how you stand. That's what justification means. I want you to see how God sees you as, if, as how you stand before him right now if you believed. To be excited, you stand justified. Well, I'm going to try and take the shirt off. You can't. It lasts forever. Another cool thing, Holy Spirit came inside. And the Holy Spirit came inside. He's like, that's just a gift. And in, 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 in the scriptures I put in there, it says, this Holy Spirit seals you for the day of redemption. In another verse, it says, for the day of glory. That means heaven, folks. Heaven with God. You're sealed. God's telling you right now, this is what happened to you. And you believed. I see you in Christ's righteousness, the Holy Spirit, and now you get to call me daddy. Woohoo! Can I get an amen? I got three. I got another amen. Amen. So now you're a child. You're a child. And here's the deal. This is so key. I'm going to use an illustration of a child. If my son Elijah grows up, he will, hopefully, and he becomes 20, and he decides he likes stealing. And he goes down to Walmart for some reason and steals something at Walmart. And he comes back, and he doesn't make it back. The police catch him. And I get a call, your son's in jail. 
oh no, what's the church, you know, the church finds out, Tim's son's in jail, ah! Missionary kid in jail. First time. <laughs> yeah, some of you are shaking your head. I go to pick him up. In the whole entirety of his sin, and in his sin, and his sin, and his sin, is he still my son? Brothers and sisters, when you sin this week, you are still his daughter, still his child, no matter how much sin you can do. Even suicide, guys. It does not say suicide is the unforgivable sin. The only unforgivable sin is to believe. That's it. But when you believe, every sin is paid for. Now, we're not saying go out and sin, but it's to give you that peace that you're his son no matter what. I'm his son. I'm going to sin tomorrow and Monday. Anybody with me? I am going to sin tomorrow, and I'm going to apologize to Courtney in the morning. I'm just sorry. (laughs) It's so key. You know you're his son. You're his daughter. No matter what you do, it's going to change the way you walk in this room. It did for me. You're forgiven. That's the last thing on there. So in Colossians 2.13 it says, He forgave all trespasses. Other versions say all sin. All a trespass is is like a million sins in one. So trespasses is like a billion, billion, billion sins. He forgave all sin. Well, I still have to forgiveness. No, you don't. Who do you stand in? You don't need to ask for forgiveness. And this is a key point. And someone's like, oh, he's preaching heresy. Wait, wait. You don't have to ask for forgiveness again. He says, you are forgiven. You do not have to ask for forgiveness to stand in Christ. To know how you stand. Before I talk about the forgiveness part, let's read in Romans 5-2 together. Because of our faith. Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. Let's say it together. Where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. This is one of over 300 verses you'll find that talk about your standing in Christ. Now, let's talk about the problem I had. Forgiveness. And talking about our sin. Because I grew up and I saw my sin clearly. You know, I, I, uh, I grew up in a high school. And some of you know I already shared how I, I did struggle with pornography and many different things. And I, I come to church on Sunday. Sometimes I wouldn't come because I didn't feel clean enough. And I felt separated. I'm like, well, if I were to die today because of my sin, I'm probably going to hell. I'm going to be separated from God. But I didn't understand how I stand. I was struggling in my walk with God. This is where the forgiveness aspect comes in. You stand forgiven of every sin. He's waiting to forgive you tomorrow, Monday. Every one of you is in a sin tomorrow. And he's waiting to forgive you. And he's ready because of how you stand. But here's the issue. Go back to my story with Elijah. Elijah and I come home. I take him home from the jail. We go in the house. He goes in his separate room. I go in my room. And we haven't talked. Where's our relationship at? Separated. Some other words out there, guys. Broken. Blistered. That's a, that's a good one. Until he opens the door 
He comes to me, knocks on my door. Hey, Dad. Or I go to him and say, let's talk. What happened today? Yeah, I really wanted that Snickers bar. Dude, I'll buy you five. You don't have to steal it from Walmart. It's okay. I, I love you. You're already forgiven. You're my son. Daddy, can you, can you just pray for me and help me talk through how to grow today and tomorrow? That's what the forgiveness and confession is for, for the sanctification side. See, our relationship, our fellowship was restored. We're talking again. That's what the forgiveness is for. When 1 John 1, 9 comes around, everyone wants to quote that verse. I need to confess and be forgiven. That's only for children of God, not enemies. That's only for people that have believed in Jesus. And the forgiveness, if you look at the context, and you can go back and study it, and look at the commentaries, the context is for believers to restore your Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday fellowship so that you're walking with God. That has nothing to do with how you stand. This is where we get confused and where I was and where Satan masquerades as an angel like, you better be fearful. You, you can't know. No one can know. No one can know how to get to heaven. No one can be sure. That's Satan's lie. Let's take it out and replace it with Jesus. You can know for sure. So when you got on the fight on the way to church today, when you were harsh with your kid last Friday, you were looking at pornography on Wednesday, you got in a fight with your wife on Tuesday, gossiping on Monday, that was two hours. And you come here today, you are still his child. All you're doing is talking to daddy and say, Daddy, I messed up again. He's like, I know, I already forgave you. Daddy, help. Holy Spirit, please transform me. You're coming in here with peace. There's a progression here. And you go home and study all the verses for yourself because I want you to have that confidence that I now have that I did not have, guys. I was in fear, fear, fear. That's why I'm like, with a smile, hopefully you see the smile that I'm excited to tell you can be sure. Because look at this worldview with Jesus in the center, okay? If Jesus, you believe in Jesus, look at that next circle. You are justified because of Jesus. That's how you stand. That next circle, the blue circle, we're not trying to sacrifice more lambs. There's peace! You have peace in your mind, peace in your heart. You walk in here with peace. I'm fully his child forever and ever. Amen! And then that last one, the outward action, that outward green, it says, since you are sure you will be with God when you die. There's a confidence now because you know where your faith lies. In Christ, not this good life or good work or some Ten Commandments you have to follow. The Ten Commandments were just given to show you how screwed up you are. You find out in Rome 3.20 said the law was just given to show you how messed up you are, not for you to follow so you can stand. It's for you to look at and say, God, I pray that you would change me into that kind of man, that kind of woman. I want you to make sure you know how you stand. Because this is where you're going to have the peace and really grow in your Christian life and not live in fear every day when you sin tomorrow. 
So the band's going to come out. And for some of us, this was just like a big confidence builder. Like one of those pyramid scheme moments where everyone's like, woohoo, woohoo, but this is really truth. It's not a pyramid scheme. It's where you're like, yes, amen, amen. Because it says in many parts of Scripture, Romans 8, it says, nothing can take you out of my arms. Nothing can separate us. You are in God's arms. So this song is about that no prison, no valley, no sin, no nothing will take you out of his arms. You're there, you're there, you're there forever. And so as you sing it, man, just say, Lord, thank you that I'm in your arms. But some of you heard this, and you're like, that was kind of a dumb illustration, Tim. I'm not getting it. You're putting a cross on stools. If you have any questions, come and ask us. After the song, actually during the song and after the song, we're going to have elders and people up here that you can ask questions with. I'll be up here uh, with my wife, other ladies, if you want to ask questions. Some of you might be like me. When I was a kid, I doubted a lot. I doubted my salvation. And the preachers would get up, a couple in particular. I never doubted my salvation. If you doubt, you've got to recommit. Better come forward. Okay, I will. You ever been there? I wonder if that was a true statement of him. Because I've doubted my salvation many years. But you know what that doubt led me to? It led me to all those verses. Oh, no, no, this is, I bet you that doubt was from the Lord. So he would point me back to his word so I'd be more confident and confident and confident. So if you're doubting, you have questions, come and ask and let's talk. My little son, my, my Elijah, he did believe at five years old, but you know what? Seven years old, he started crying in his bed one night. And I said, what's wrong, son? He said, I don't know if I believed. What? It's like, I have some questions. I'm doubting. It's a friend that's at the baseball team said this, you know, how the Bible's stupid and God's not real. And I'm starting to think, where did I get this from? I'm starting to doubt and I'm afraid because I'm doubting I'm not really saved. And I just put my hand on him. This is God ready to teach you something new at seven years old, son. And it's going to happen again at eight and nine and ten and eleven so that you grow in that confidence. Confidence, confidence. I'll throw the last one. If this is the first time you've ever believed this, you say it clicked, man, come and tell us. I'm not going to lead you in a prayer. I don't want you to focus on that. I just want you to come and high five and say you believe for the first time. We want to know so that people can walk with you. So we're on the same team. So get a white shirt guy and now you're a white shirt guy. Let's walk together on the same team. You can come during the song or after the song. There'll be people up here to talk. So as we sing, sing with all our heart that we can never be taken from daddy's arm. Nothing can separate you now. Amen.